Welcome everybody to Law and Crime Network's Daily Debrief. Yet another clash between the defense and the judge in the Harvey Weinstein trial here in New York. Weinstein again entering court with his walker as his defense attorneys asked the judge to interview potential jurors in private. The theory, according to defense attorney Arthur Idala, is that most people do not speak in front of international media and that he needs the jury pool to be as honest and forthright as possible. The defense wants to ask jurors about the nature of the charges, obviously, which are sex crimes, which the defense called very embarrassing personal subjects to be subjected to this much scrutiny. And outside the courthouse, a protest in Spanish. This feminist flash mob singing a Chilean song called A Rapist in Your Way in English translation. The judge said the defense request for private jury screening was in his first impression against the law and that he was disagreeing with the defense on virtually every level. But the judge said he would read the paperwork and issue a formal decision later on. Three attorneys with us tonight. Let's begin with Joseph McBride, who practices in New York. So, Joseph, the defense really digging in here. The judge is not happy. A lot of bumps in the road this week. Indeed. Uh, judge Burke is a no-nonsense judge. Uh, he uh, likes control in the courtroom, and he likes things to be done his way. Uh, I do empathize with the defense strategy here. Uh, you know, this is a sensitive topic, a sensitive issue, and, uh, you know, lots of times people don't want to speak about these things in, in front of the whole jury. Joseph, do you think the defense has got a fair shot here if the defense doesn't get to ask these questions, very specific voir dire questions? No, I don't think they have a fair shot without these questions. These questions are, are necessary, for sure. Eklund Mercy, you're a practicing defense attorney in Atlanta, so there have been several rounds of sarcasm in this case already. People getting the impression the defense and the judge really are not happy with one another to begin with or that they really don't like one another at worst. What's your impression sitting down there looking from afar? Are things just off kilter here? Uh, how should this be going from your perspective? Well, I think that the, the judge kind of misstepped in his snarky comment with regards to uh, Mr. Weinstein's phone, which then kind of triggered because now you have a juror saying that, hey, I was just making a joke and I was just being snarky. So you understand that this is publicly, like this is one of the most publicized trials that we'll have this year. And like everybody's on edge. With regards to jury selection, especially with sex crimes, you have to ask those deep-seated questions because you want to know if the juror is going to be affect you, affect, affected by this. You know, some jurors, just based on the allegations, could be triggered because they were victims of sexual trauma. So you want to ask the questions. You actually need to ask those questions. But to have those questions just publicized in court, no, we need an in-camera hearing, and it should be private. You know, this is really tough balance because at the end of the day, it's usually a public courtroom and the law predicates that here. Michael Bryan, I have to ask this one. A-list actress Charlize Theron today came out as a potential witness. Does that change the mood in the courtroom because we're elevating the uh, list status, one could say, of the potential witnesses? Well, you know, anytime you inject that celebrity status 
it just adds to the circus environment. And it's never a good thing, really, because you need to look at this person, Ms. Theron, or anybody like her, as a normal person in there to tell her story about what happened. But the reality is, you can't. It amps up the media interest, it amps up the public interest, and it might obscure what she's really there to do. So we have the better, better angels of our nature, Michael Bryant, and then the reality of the situation. I agree with you on that one. Let's move on now to other cases we're following here on Law and Crime. You're disrespectful. You're so evil. I'm not evil, baby. I need to protect myself. A girlfriend who embattled R&B singer R. Kelly is herself facing criminal accusations that she started a fight with another of Kelly's girlfriends at Kelly's Trump Tower condo. This video circulating online appears to show that altercation. Prosecutors say Jocelyn Savage said, I can't stand you and I hate you to that other girlfriend. That other girlfriend went to the hospital with facial injuries. R. Kelly's attorney, Steve Greenberg, called the altercation staged, however. Greenberg, meanwhile, is asking federal prosecutors handling Kelly's New York criminal case to hand over the names of witnesses and other discovery materials. The judge overseeing the city of Chicago's lawsuit against Jesse Smollett is ordering Google to turn over data about the actor and his manager. The city is seeking one year's worth of emails, drafts, deleted messages, Google Drive files, voice texts, calls, contacts, search and browsing history, and even location data. A judge agreed to the sweeping warrants, but no one connected to the case is saying much about them in specific just yet. Chicago police say Smollett orchestrated a so-called racist and homophobic attack to raise his profile. Prosecutors refused to try him, so the city resorted to this civil suit. Where's the other guy? Officer, officer. Officer. Get on the ground! A guilty plea in the case of the Northern Arizona University shooter. We brought you the trial back in 2017 as defendant Stephen Jones testified that he fired in self-defense. Prosecutors said he was an assassin who went back to his car, chambered around there, returned to the scene where older intoxicated college students were involved in a ruckus. The jury at trial was hung. The deal means Jones will serve up to 10 years in prison, likely a lot less, and pay up to $400,000 in restitution to his victims. Screaming matches today in the Ohio trial of a mother and father accused of murdering their infant. Jessica and Daniel Groves face a list of charges over the death of Dylan Groves. The defense said he died on March 28th. That's two and a half months after everyone there admitted he was born hooked on drugs. Authorities say the little boy was murdered, wrapped in plastic bags and duct tape, and then put in milk crates bound by chains, padlocks, zip ties, and wires. That so-called coffin was weighted and thrown in a well. As promised during opening statements, defendant Jessica Groves took the stand in her own so-called defense. Groves testified she and she alone caused Dylan's death. Yes. Did Daniel Groves participate in the killing of Dylan? No. Was Daniel Groves aware of any of the injuries that you called, Dylan, that may have led to his death? No. Did you hide all injuries that you caused, Dylan, from your husband? Yes. The injuries that Dylan sustained happened on what date? March 27th. Dylan died on what date? March 28th. Patricia Kraft said that she had looked at Dylan. Did she do anything else to examine no. Dylan? Where did you take Dylan after he died? He was at our house for a couple days. And then where did you take him? To the well. 
Did you murder Dylan Groves? Not intentionally. Defendant Jessica Groves says Dylan's death was an accident, but on cross, prosecutors insisted on knowing exactly how she caused the injuries. This became nasty. By dropping him. By dropping him. How did you cause this, that first two-inch skull fracture? I don't remember. How did you cause that one-inch skull fracture? It had to be from dropping him. How did you cause that complete upper arm fracture? Nothing that I ever did was intentional. I'm not asking for your excuse. How did you cause that complete upper arm fracture? Tell the jury. I have to live with this for the rest of Answer my life. How did you cause that You have devoured Ma my family. Ms. Rose, Ms. Rose, you answer the questions that are asked of you. You understand? I've admitted to my guilt. How did you And know? I have to live how without my children. I'm done talking to you. You are talking to me because you're sitting on the witness stand. Well, she may have admitted something, but it was to a lesser charge. The judge instructed defendant Jessica Groves that by testifying, she became subject to cross-examination and must answer the prosecutor's questions. That's basic law. Her attorney should have made that clear long before today. After that judge's instruction, the prosecutor asked how Jessica concealed her son's death. I wanted to be able to go back and get my baby. Ma'am, I'm not asking you for comments. Tell the jury about the day you wrapped that baby in plastic. Tell them what happened. I don't quite remember it all. You don't remember that either. I know it happened. I remember bits and pieces, but no, I don't remember. Because when he died, part of me died. And I've just been on autopilot. Man, look at this picture. Where did you get all that stuff to wrap baby Dylan in? Outside, I guess. You don't remember this chain, those six layers of plastic and duct tape, three padlocks, 12 zip ties, eight wire ties, 18 rocks? Not in detail, no I don't. That's not a whole heck of a lot of planning? No. Why would you do that if you didn't murder this baby on purpose? Because I was scared. Scared of what? Losing everything. Now, why are you here telling this jury the story today? Let's jump in now and talk only about this mother's shocking testimony on the stand. Eklund, this is just an incredibly sad trial here. You were saying earlier that you think the mother did a good job on the stand. I think, uh, yeah, I think she did an excellent job. She was just being honest. And whenever attacks with, even when her own attorney said, did you murder? She says, no, not intentionally. So she is putting it out there that she didn't intend anything. Her, her answers are very consistent with somebody who was under the influence. So she has been consistent saying that she did not do it intentionally. It's an accident. And um, you can't, and the issue is, is that the prosecutor, you can't get mad at her because you don't like her answer. That's just her answer. If it was an accident, that's her answer. You move on. Michael Bryant, what did you Michael make Bryant. of this?
You know, it was kind of tricky because you're, you're talking about making the defendant sympathetic if you beat up on her too much, which I think we got close to many times there. But the question really is whether the jury will believe that this voluntary use of drugs could negate the intent element. That's key. Joseph McBride, we saw this start off with leading questions of that witness from her own attorney. Whenever that happens, I look at it and say, the attorney's trying to testify, not the witness. The attorney's trying to put words in somebody's mouth. We eventually saw an objection because of that. And we saw the prosecutor tear into somebody who's already in tears on the stand. Uh, we can armchair quarterback that as, as many ways as we want. But look, it seems to me the prosecutor's thinking, hey, look, I've got enough injuries here to try to prove that this was somehow intentional. Was that what was going on? You know, it, it's a good question. Uh, you have somebody up there who's crying and somebody up there who's being honest, somebody who's admitting to uh, being responsible for the passing of her child. That's not the way to treat somebody uh, in this situation. The prosecutor here did more harm than good for the people's case. They have a long way to go if they're going to prove murder. They've had the, they have the act. They don't have the intent component. And we're going to bring you back to Ohio here on The Debrief for more testimony from the father of little baby Daniel. That plus closing arguments coming up after this right here on Law and Crime. Let's go back now to the trial involving the death of little Dylan Groves, where the father, Daniel Groves, also took the stand in his own defense. He told the jury he believes his wife deceived him and that he's only guilty of hiding his son's body. His own attorney asked him how he could not have known about his son's injuries. Believe me, I have asked myself that every day a million times since. So what happened after you discovered Dylan had passed away? Well, I had came into the living room and found him in his pack and play where we, he laid out during the daytime. I, I'd found him there deceased. And I went into total shock, grief, of course. She kept telling me, you know they're going to blame you, you know they're going to blame you, you have custody of the baby, they're going to blame you and not me. How did that make you feel? Uh, it made me feel very scared. What was her demeanor like? She was forceful, kept, just kept over and over and over repeating to me that they would blame me because I had custody of the baby. What went into your decision-making to place Dylan into the well? That same stuff, and her forcing me and kept telling me that they, uh, they was going to blame me. On cross-examination, prosecutors asked Daniel about his promise to Child Protective Services. Daniel says when baby Dylan was returned from foster care, he did promise to protect the little boy. And when this baby was hit, four times in the head, and when this baby was shaken by your wife, did you call Children's Services? No, I did not. Did you call 911? No, I did not. Did you call Andrea Bull? No, I did not. Did you go to a neighbor's house and say, hey, get my wife out of there? No, I did not. Did you stop the hand that was hurting that baby? No, I did not. You failed to act, correct? Correct. And because you failed to act, Dylan is dead today. Uh, those injuries would not have caused his death. You do admit that you helped wrap your son for concealment in a cocoon. Yes, I do admit that. And dropped him down a deep, dark, water-filled well. Yes, I admitted that. I admitted that from the beginning. And you want this jury to believe that you thought the baby just died? Yes. 
I thought he did just die. I had seen no more. I had seen no more hours from her. That you're not responsible for this baby's death. No, I'm not responsible. Both sides only called their own defendants themselves basically as witnesses and then rested with nothing more, no experts, nothing. Then court proceeded to closing arguments. Here is the state. Dr. Brown testified that there was actual evidence of homicidal violence that caused baby Dylan's death. Jessica Groves can't remember. Daniel Groves doesn't see anything wrong with bashing a baby in the head four times. Or picking it up and squeezing it and shaking it. You can do that to a baby? He watched this happen to his own son, baby Dylan. He says by his own wife. You were told at the beginning of this, Jessica Groves is going to take responsibility. Did she take responsibility in here this morning when she spoke to you? She can't remember what happened, but she does remember it was an accident. Is that taking responsibility for these injuries? You were told that Daniel Groves panicked and dumped baby Dylan in a 30-foot well. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, does this look like panic to you? Does it? A chain, three padlocks, 12 zip ties, eight wire ties, 18 rocks, six layers of plastic and duct tape. Does this look like panic? I submit to you it looks like extreme planning. Okay, the mother's defense is basically that she's taking responsibility and she's doing so to try to save her husband from an unfair legal fate. She could have pled out to this indictment. She could have got rid of this case right off the bat, but she didn't. She wanted here today, as I told you in opening statements, as you heard up on the stand, when I asked her, did you murder your son? She said yes. She says she put him in this coffin and placed him in that well. She was forced to come here to try to say somebody who did not do that, that did not kill Dylan. She's here. She was up on that stand. All that was not to save herself. All this this week is not to save herself. It's to save him because she knows the truth and she's told it. I present to you, the state, has not provided enough evidence that Daniel was guilty of the murder, that they have failed to even give you a date of death. I have given you a date of death from the beginning because that's the true date of death that my client has testified to. And before the state starts tossing this around, tossing this around to you to get your attention, remember, she took the blame. The father's defense attorney basically used the same exact theme, arguing that Daniel Groves is guilty only of disposing of the baby's body. He did admit to the use of drugs. He did admit that he had was under the influence of drugs when he came into custody in the sheriff's department in June. He admitted to you his life fell apart. His life fell apart. His baby had been found dead. He wasn't really sure what caused the baby's death. But through the fear that Jessica had caused him to feel that he was going to be blamed, he decided to help her dispose of that body, not reveal it to authorities, 
not reveal it to anyone, not even their other child. Dylan passed away. Daniel was removed. He turned to illegal substances. But he admitted that happened in the beginning of May. And remember, Dylan passed away at the end of March. Daniel was removed around May, April 24th. His life fell apart. Let's jump in now with some analysis to wrap up the day here. Eklund, what do you make of the trial tactics here? We've got a prosecutor basically screaming and yelling in front of the jury. She's very harsh with the witnesses. Do you think that's called for? Do you think it's inappropriate? Do you think it's necessary? Um, I think it's her style, but I don't think it's real effective. She hasn't provided proof of that this was premeditated, that this was planned. The only thing, like, her carrying that box only shows that they use stuff after the fact. We don't have receipts saying that they went out and said, hey, we're going to hide this baby. We don't have anything but household items that were found in the house that was used to, um, to hide this child. So I don't think she made a good like a really good argument for the case of murder. Okay, we're hearing that there is indeed a verdict in this case. The question is whether we're going to get it read during this broadcast because we only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Joseph, uh, what do you think? You think a quick verdict here uh, with this many charges? Do you think we're going to have guilties? Do you think we're going to have any not guilties in there given the finger pointing going on? I think we'll have it'll be guilty on both parties uh, regarding the disposal of the corpse of, of the child. Interesting to find out what's going to happen here with the top murder charges. Did the prosecution do enough to cross the burden of showing intent, or did they fail? And the big question, Michael Bryant, is whether we're going to have a split verdict here, whether or not the mother is going to face the rap on at least one of the two murder charges, and whether the father might not ultimately be convicted of either one. Yeah, my guess is uh, only because I discount both of their testimonies because I think it's too self-serving, I think she's going to take the fall on the top and the bottom. Okay, so, uh, Eklund, do you agree with that theory or not? Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know, because kind of both sides did, did a subpar job. So I don't know what the jury had to deal with. I have no idea. I would, I, I'm, I just don't know. I have no idea. Joseph, your thoughts. <laughs> Uh, if, if, if I had to, to place a bet here, uh, I, I would think that mom is not going to go down on, on the murder charge. She's probably going to go down on, on a lesser charge and everything else underneath that. Dad's not going to go down on a murder. I just, I just don't see that happening here. Prosecution has not done enough for him. Joseph, I, I seem to agree with your theory if I'm going to really sit down and think about this verdict. But look, we don't know what the jury is going to do. We'll have that for you coming up on Monday because we have to sign off here on the debrief. It's a 30-minute broadcast. We can't bring it to you, but we'll be back later on Monday.